In every serious reading of the Bible, you'll discover fresh spiritual revelations. Recently, a verse in Romans chapter 11 stood out for me. And in this one verse, I saw a summary of the entire theology of God and the history of Israel. Explaining God's dealings with Israel, Paul admonished us with these words in verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. Many of the churches think that God has severely rejected Israel. But on the contrary, part of the goodness of God is his eternal plan to keep his covenant with the Jewish people. And as the time of Jesus' second coming draws near, Israel's reemergence as a nation continues to be controversial. But the tenor of Scripture assures us that the goodness of God will complete Israel's destiny and bring universal peace after Jesus returns. Let's behold, therefore, both the goodness and the severity of God. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. In 2017, the ancient nation of Persia, known today as Iran, constructed a massive digital clock in Tehran's Palestine Square to count down the days until Israel's destruction. How arrogant and what an embodiment of rage that's described in Psalm 2. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. That Psalm says he holds them in derision. Well, recently, Iran's doomsday clock went dark. The digital countdown was supposed to show the number of days remaining until the Jewish state's annihilation. The clock of doom was based on a prediction by Iran's so-called supreme leader that by the year 2040, Israel would no longer exist. But the proud clock is now an empty black screen. In fact, traffic lights, public transportation, telecommunications, everything goes dark in Iran for long hours at a time. And many businesses are simply unable to operate under the current circumstances of crippling power shortages. Every nation that rages against God and his chosen people eventually comes to ruin. So my dear friends, I want you to know that the promises of God were not written on a blackboard that can be erased. The God of Israel has promised to redeem Israel, to give Israel a glorious future, and to grant regional peace with their neighbors under the rulership of King Messiah. As one called by the Lord from Jerusalem to the nations, I've always loved Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, which were penned by the Apostle Paul, to help us to understand God's plan with Israel. I've studied these chapters for decades, but recently the Holy Spirit drew my attention to the power that's packed in verse 22 of Romans 11. And in that verse, Paul says concerning the whole history of Israel, Behold, therefore, the goodness 
and severity of God. This is an important balanced message because people today in the church only want to preach about God's goodness to them, that God is love and that he wouldn't dare judge sinners who flaunt their rebellion. But on the other hand, too many of the churches are all too willing to preach the severity of God towards Israel, as if God has washed his hands of the Jewish people. But that's far from the truth. Oh, how desperately the churches need to know the full counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. Tragically, just when it's critical for people to understand and know the truth, society has become biblically illiterate. I studied various commentaries concerning the goodness and severity of God, the two sides of the proverbial coin, and it's a balanced message that unfortunately we're not hearing preached in the churches. Too many of the messages coming from today's pulpits are about politically correct social issues or all about self-help and success, how to fulfill our own dreams as opposed to fulfilling the dreams of God, that all should come to repentance and be saved. Rather, being preached today are plenty of messages about the goodness of God. He loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But who is preaching the full tenor of Scripture about the severity of God, His severity if we disobey His precepts and if we fall into sin? Paul warned the Roman church not to become prideful and arrogant or God will chasten us the same way that he chastised the Jewish people. In Romans 11, the emphasis is upon God's power to graft the Jewish people back again into their own native olive tree. Paul says the Gentile believers should not think it's impossible for the Jewish people to receive Messiah because the Jews are, after all, the natural branches of the tree, while the former Gentile believers are, contrary to nature, wild olive branches. Paul said the restoration of the Jews is far more natural and likely than Gentiles becoming the spiritual children of Abraham. For with God, all things are possible. But we're told to behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. On the one hand, the grace and kindness of God to some, but his severity and strict justice towards others. In times past, the Jewish people stumbled over Jesus as the suffering servant because they were looking for a conquering king, the role he will in fact fulfill in the near future. God in strict justice not only destroyed Jerusalem and the Holy Temple, he also scattered the Jewish people. They became a reproach, a proverb, a taunt in all places as the books of Deuteronomy and Jeremiah prophesy that they will become a thing of horror. God said you will become a byword, an object of ridicule amongst all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. And doesn't that describe the history of the Jewish people in the diaspora? In the interim throughout history, God demonstrated his kindness to the Gentiles in the election of believers from all the nations to eternal life through the merits of Messiah's atonement. But if the Gentiles don't continue in God's goodness, 
Paul warned in Romans 11 that we also shall be judged. The judgment of the Jewish people and the gospel taken to the Gentiles was only temporary, he said. And now, as we watch the times of the Gentiles winding up and the Lord's favor returning to his people Israel, let's develop a holy, reverential fear of the Lord, recognizing both God's goodness and his severity. Paul prophesied that the Jewish people will finally be compensated and saved. It's a matter of divine promise, affected by divine power, and their judgments will be suspended upon their reception of King Messiah. And that is the entire tenor of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And if people knew this Bible, they'd realize that God made it clear when he brought Israel out of Egyptian slavery that they would be blessed in the promised land if they obeyed God, but they would be cursed if they disobeyed him, but not cursed forever. God said they would be severely chastened until they repented, and they will. Moses said to the Israelites, the Lord has declared that you are his people, his treasured possession, and you are to keep all his commandments. He will set you in praise, fame, and honor above all the nations, but you will be judged if you disobey his commands. Everybody must learn this lesson of obedience to God's moral laws sooner rather than later, or we will suffer dire consequences. And to make his point very clear, God instructed half of the Israelite tribes to congregate on the Mount of Blessing in the Holy Land, Mount Gerizim, and the other half, the other six tribes, were instructed to congregate nearby on Mount Ebal, a mountain that represented the curses. That was a prophetic action described in Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. And when all the people got into position on the two mountains, the priests, the Levites, recited in a loud voice, Cursed is anyone who makes a detestable idol. Then all the people answered in agreement, Amen. And then the priest proclaimed, Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father and mother. And all the people affirmed, Amen. Many other potential curses were mentioned concerning the full spectrum of sexual misconduct. Curses were also pronounced for murder and bribery. And each time all the people declared their agreement with an amen. And then in the next chapter, Deuteronomy 28, the blessings for obedience were pronounced. Israel was promised, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb, your children will be blessed. And the crops of your land, your livestock will be blessed. Your basket, your bread will be blessed. You're going to be blessed when you come in and when you go out. And the Lord will defeat your enemies before you. They'll come at you one direction, but they will flee seven directions. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hands to. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that he is giving to you. All of these blessings 
entail the goodness of God. However, the passage proceeds with warnings. It says, if you do not obey the Lord your God, and if you do not carefully follow all his commandments and decrees, God is going to be very severe. All these curses will come on you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. Your children will be cursed, your crops, your livestock. You're going to be cursed going in and coming out. And verse 20 says very graphically, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke and everything you put your hand to until you're destroyed because of the evil of forsaking him. The Lord furthermore will plague you with diseases until he's destroyed you from the land. And the Lord is going to strike you with wasting diseases, fever, inflammation, heat, drought, blight, mildew, and so forth. The sky over your head will be bronze. The ground beneath will be like iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder until you are destroyed. And so, my friends, that describes the severity of God as a result of disobedience. So Paul admonishes us over in the New Testament in Romans eleven twenty two, to consider both the Lord's goodness if we obey him, but also his severity if we choose to disobey. And who doesn't need to learn this lesson? Even today, Israel as a nation doesn't yet comprehend that these prophecies came to pass due to disobedience and the tragic rejection of Messiah. Yet that tragic episode is not the end of their story. Hallelujah. You see, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul expressed his ardent desire for his Jewish people to be saved. And in Romans 11, he also asked a key question. Did God reject? Did he cancel his promises to his people? And the Apostle answered emphatically, no, God forbid. The literal translation is never may it be so. Paul is saying it's impossible for God to reject his people, the Jews. You see, God has only, as it were, hit the pause button for them, while at the same time, the Lord has been gathering in a great harvest of souls from the nations. The physical people of Israel have not been rejected, but during their diaspora, they were temporarily put on hold. And even that harsh judgment was partial and with a purpose so that the Messiah should gather his bride, a company of believers from every nation, along with the remnant of Jewish believers, the one new man. Paul argues that it's impossible for God to annul his promises to Israel. You see, it's because it's a character issue with God. It's a matter of the Lord's integrity. The God of Israel is not a covenant breaker. For example, let's examine the testimony of God himself in Psalm 89, where he says, if Israel breaks my covenant and my statues and doesn't keep my commandments, then I will visit their transgressions with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. But nevertheless, God said, even though I may chasten them, I, I will not utterly remove my loving kindness nor allow my faithfulness to them to fail. 
I will not break my covenant, nor will I alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David. God said, his seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Listen also to God's vow concerning Israel's undying destiny as recorded in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is timely and very relevant. Jeremiah 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. You see, this is a prophecy about what we call the New Testament, the new covenant. But notice that the new covenant was first made with the people of Israel and Judah. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In verse 34, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And that's a prophecy of the millennium when Jesus will rule the earth in the near future for a thousand years from Jerusalem. For God says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And now here, verse 35, this is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these planetary decrees vanish from my sight, says God. In other words, if, if the sun and the moon disappear, only then will Israel cease from being a nation before me. So God has vowed that as long as there's a moon, a sun, as there are stars in the sky, the Jewish people will be preserved as a nation before him. That's a settled fact in the mind of God. Even if it's not settled in the minds of politicians and Israel's enemies who are fighting Israel's defender, they're fighting God Almighty. A lot of people get angry and demand justice for the Palestinians and God wants them to have justice, but he also is determined to protect Israel from annihilation. Now I want you to see why it's so important for the Apostle Paul to teach the Roman church about God's faithfulness as a covenant keeper with Israel. Paul noted carefully, I'm an Israelite by birth. He said he hailed from the belligerent tribe of Benjamin and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was so jealous of his traditions that he became a raging persecutor of the church. Paul was the hate-filled enemy number one of the gospel. Yet if he could be saved, then he could become a disciple of Jesus and the church shouldn't make the foolish mistake of writing off the Jewish people. So in effect, Paul was saying, look at me, I'm exhibit A. I'm proof that God is not finished with the Jewish people. Furthermore, Gentile believers must be unable to put their trust in the faithfulness of God if the sovereign of the universe should break his promises to Israel. It's just a matter of God's integrity and keeping his word. 
The apple of God's eye is a Bible idiom for Israel. And when the prophet Zechariah described Israel as the apple of God's eye, he explained that those who hurt Israel are, in effect, poking their finger in the most sensitive part, the very eye of God. Well, I've been preaching in many churches in Asia and Africa and Europe, all over the world, where the leadership often neglect or deny any future place in God's plan for Israel. And it's a great heartache to see how blind are so many churches all over the world, even though the great irony is that Israel as a nation has been reconstituted right before our eyes in our lifetime against great unfathomable odds. Erroneous replacement theology claims the church has superseded Israel, and that's a tragic view. Although, thankfully, many churches are waking up and beginning to acknowledge Israel's place in God's end-time plan, that there is a definite glorious future for Israel when King Messiah returns, and that the church cannot replace Israel. The church has its own glorious purpose as the bride of Messiah, but it cannot replace God's Israel. Furthermore, believers in Jesus owe a tremendous debt to our patriarchs and our foundation in the faith, the Jewish people. Why, if Israel is the apple of God's eye, why is there so much relentless hatred, you might ask? Why is there persecution against them? Why does God allow it? One explanation is that the Jewish people represent God himself. And so people who are angry at God tend to take out their anger on his people. But there's another reason, and this is not my personal opinion. It's because of the word of God and the explanation of Jesus himself as to why Israel has suffered so much persecution and devastation. It's because as a nation, they did not recognize the timing of Messiah's first coming. Timing is everything. When Jesus came to the Mount of Olives and beheld the panorama of Jerusalem and the temple, he also foresaw the coming destruction. He wept because he saw all the pogroms, even the Holocaust. And he prophesied with anguish that their temple would be left desolate because they did not recognize the time of his visitation. They didn't recognize the exact time of Messiah's arrival that had been prophesied by the prophet Daniel. The desolation prophesied by Jesus has continued for nearly 2,000 years. Even when Mark Twain visited the Holy Land, he wrote in Innocence Abroad that the land was desolate. It's because the nation stumbled over the Lord's identity. And Psalm 100. 18 verse 22 had prophesied the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus wept over Jerusalem's rejection of his visitation and in the gospels he described the entire history of Israel from that moment forward in only two succinct verses and we find them in Luke chapter 13 where the Savior looked out over the city and he prophesied Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, 
Your house is being left to you desolate. And my dear friends, that is the severity of God. The desolation has lasted as a punishment nearly 2,000 years. But thankfully, it's not the end of the story. Because in the very next verse, Jesus also prophesied the hope of Israel. He said, I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, Baruch haba Beshem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's one of the glorious untils of the New Testament. Until you say, he said, you're not going to see me again until you welcome me. And Jesus is promising that Israel will receive and will welcome him the second time in the future. Meanwhile, as Acts 3.21 confirms, Jesus must be retained in heaven until the restoration of all things, including the restoration of the nation of Israel. And we're eyewitnesses now. You see, the Bible is precise concerning the future of Israel. This word of God is not foggy concerning Israel. It's very clear. And when Israel summons the Lord, he will return to them as King Messiah. And Jesus will rule from the ancestral throne of his father, David. And all nations will come up to Jerusalem to worship the king and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So it boggles my mind that there are many defiant pastors and churchgoers who deny that God has a plan for the restoration, salvation, and blessing of Israel. Even now as I speak, events are happening on a daily basis, proving that God is keeping his word to Israel. His faithfulness, his trustworthiness depend on it. We've witnessed in history the severity of God. Now we're beginning to witness his kindness in reinstating Israel. God is indeed severe. He chastises his very chosen ones if they refuse to believe. But God is also good, for he has promised to restore Israel to their forfeited place. And Romans eleven twenty three declares that God is able to graft the Jewish people in again. He will heal them and he will not remember their sins. Amen. He is also good and faithful to all of us who decide to put our trust in the Savior, Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So the Bible says that Jesus is Lord. Amen. In the meantime, I invite all my friends to pray with me for the peace of Jerusalem and for the surrounding half-brothers of Israel, the Arabs, to comprehend the present move of God. God is not against the Arabs. He's for all Abram's descendants, and God wants to unite the region under the banner of the God of Israel and his Messiah, as Psalm 2 declares. So it's time for the church to humble ourselves and say, God, I want to walk circumspectly in this hour. You've been good to me. You've sent me the Savior. Now I'm so thankful that you will also send the Savior back to Israel. Help me to pave the way through my prayers and through my mercy. And don't let stubbornness in the churches hinder the great work you're doing in this hour. Meanwhile, let's stay in touch through the social media and also through our website, exploits.tv, which offers an archive of our videos and articles on end-time topics faith and healing. 
And a reminder, download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store to watch our videos on your mobile phones or tablets. So until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.